the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the, second, the ninth chapter. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. Lord. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one was with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. The assembly may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. One of the first and most impactful things that I learned in my seminary experience was the art of active listening. You see, up to that point in my life, I'd assumed that listening was a passive endeavor, right? You don't actually do anything, it just kind of happens to you. And as it turns out, I couldn't have been more wrong. And it's not that I wasn't a good listener before then, it's just I wasn't a complete listener before then. But I gained from that experience some useful tools to help me to hone that skill of active listening, right? I began to use I statements, a very important element of active listening, to claim my feelings and my statements as my own. The corollary, of course, then, is that I no longer presumed I knew what the other person was thinking or trying to say, right? I allowed their thoughts to be their own. And maybe the most obvious of all things, I learned that practice of eye contact, right? Really engaged listening. And with that, what I found was I got much better at retaining information. It built a foundation for relationships where I could recall facts and faces and, and events more easily because I was actively listening. And at this point, I know you're all actively listening because I'm actively talking. Right? But today is an important time to be reminded of it because it's one of the rare occasions in Scripture where we get to actively listen to God's own voice. In fact, God says today, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And if you've been listening to Mark's gospel to this point, you would probably think, hey, that kind of sounds familiar, what God says, and that's why you get a gold star, right? Of course, we've heard this before at Jesus' baptism. The skies torn open, the holy pigeon flying down, and then God saying, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Again, if you're listening closely, you'll notice that slight difference, right? It's at the very end. No longer is this a declaration of God's love for the Son, but instead it's an instruction, particularly for those present, particularly in this case on transfiguration for the disciples. Listen to him. So then I began to think to myself, okay, well, how have the disciples been doing in this listening process? So I kind of went back through, and as it turns out, pretty good, right? Jesus says, follow me. They listen, they do it. Jesus teaches in parables. They listen, they respond with questions. They may not fully understand, 
but at least you know they're listening to these parables about sowers and seeds and Legos and all the things that are important in this world, right? And then he, they even listen when Jesus is healing, right? Oftentimes using words. Or when Jesus is casting out demons, likewise, oftentimes in using words. In other words, these disciples have been pretty darn good at listening. However, I have learned in this life you do not tell somebody to listen unless it is you think they're not listening, right? That's why you say that. So clearly there's more to the story. And actually, if we go to the beginning of our gospel today, we have a good hint. Our gospel starts six days later. So I think it's important that what do we do? We transport ourselves six days early and see what was going on, see where things might have gone a little bit off the tracks. And what we'll find is no longer are we on a lofty mountaintop, but instead we are on a pilgrimage alongside of Jesus, the disciples, the crowds that have followed them through Caesarea and Philippi. As over and over and over Jesus enters into a region, heals the sick, casts out the demons, and the crowds gather to listen to the good news he proclaims. But as I mentioned, somewhere along the line in this process, the listening stops. And I think, I think I was able to identify it. There's this really weird aside that occurs. Jesus doesn't get a lot of alone time with the disciples. Precious moments, right? And he has an aside, and he asks them a simple question. Who am I? Good question, right? Jesus has shown them over and over, but he wants to see if they've really been listening. And Peter, oh Peter, what a good listener Peter is. You know? Because Peter immediately says, you're the Messiah. Bingo, Nemo. He gets his own gold star for that one, right? He's right. But, but, that's essentially where the listening kind of stops. Because right after he makes that identification, Jesus follows up and he says this. He says, you are correct, sir. But, that also means that as such, I must undergo great suffering. I'll be persecuted by the scribes and the leaders of the temple. I will suffer a horrific death, and three days later, I will rise again. And if that wasn't bad enough, he says, remember at the beginning when I said, follow me? Well, I'm going to add a little extra directive. You're going to take up your cross, and you're going to follow me. That's a bit of a different invitation, right? So now we fast forward to this moment, about six days later. And you got to think that in Peter's mind, that is a distant memory, right? That horrific thing that Jesus said, all but out of his head by this point. Why? Because he's basking in the radiant glory of God at the moment. Here, a literal mountaintop experience. Jesus, in like the most finely laundered clothing you could ever have, in the presence of some of the heavy hitters throughout Scripture. We got Moses and Elijah in attendance, right? you got to think that at this point, Peter stopped listening to what Jesus was saying before and is thinking to himself, this, this is the kind of glory that I signed up for when I followed you. You leave that cross thing behind. That, that you see, is the challenge. And then it leads to my favorite moment in our gospel today. Peter does something that we all do, right? He's uncomfortable. We're told he's actually afraid, actually. And he doesn't know what to say. And so you know what he does? He says something. Yeah, let that be the lesson. If you don't know what to say, sometimes saying nothing is better, right? But Peter freaks out like I do, right? Can't deal with the silence, and so he speaks. And he says, all right, how about this? Let's have a camp out. 
right? We can, we can put up a tent for everybody. Jesus, you get a camp. And Elijah, you get a camp. Moses, he's like Oprah out here, right? He's given everybody their own campsite. It's lovely. They're going to have s'mores. It's going to be perfect. And he wants to like root himself in this moment. I got to say, I can't blame him. That's a natural response to a transformative moment in our lives. When I think in my own life, I have those moments of, of, of great import. What do I do? I want to hold on to those moments. I want to root myself in them. That's why I have a letter of call sitting on my wall in my office, an event that took place 10 years ago. It's why I have a baseball trophy from when I was in sixth grade, from when the Harwood Heights Astros beat the Oriole Park Orioles for the championship. Yeah, that's right. I kept it. Why? Because it's a memorial to one of my favorite memories and moments. And from time to time, what do I do? I get caught up in the memories and the moments. I'm unable to see anything than that what was behind me. I become stuck in those things. And oftentimes I like to refer to this as lateral thinking. I'm only able to kind of look around me, right? And most of the time it's behind me more than anything. But Jesus came to elevate our thinking. Peter is so comfortable in the moment, he doesn't want to leave the moment behind. But if there's one thing I know about Jesus, if there's one thing I know about the good news, it is intended to make us very, very uncomfortable, right? This isn't a moment to rest. Why? Because Jesus says, I'm going to be arrested. This isn't a moment to dwell on the comfort. Why? Because my task is to comfort those who are afflicted, those who are oppressed in our world. Jesus' good news is not be nice to those that you like or love those who love you. His message is harder than that. Carrying the cross is bigger than that. It's a radical kind of love we're being invited into. And we got to listen up to the details of this call, right? It means actively pursuing personal and social righteousness. It means listening to the oppressed and amplifying their voices in light of the oppression that they face. It's a kind of love that refuses the ways that our world works. Domination, greed, and exploitation, just to name a few things. Transfiguration, right? This moment is pivot. Because in my mind, it serves as a cross-section. It's where our lateral thinking intersects with the divine way, right? It's our invitation to look up and to acknowledge what God is really calling us to do. And in the glory of this moment, we get to see that. But I think the key is we'd be reminded this is only a moment. Like that, it's gone. Everyone is back where they started, and they start that descent down that mountain. And what a different world is waiting for them on the bottom. In fact, this begins Jesus' trek towards Jerusalem, towards the cross itself. In a lot of ways, this time of year, we're doing the same thing. This is our springboard into the season of Lent, to our own journey towards the cross, our own moment of self-reflection. And in that, I think it's pretty cool that we're going to start by doing what? Putting on a cross, right? We are literally going to gather in a few days and we're going to have a cross put on our foreheads to remind us of this journey that lies ahead. And when I do it, I'm going to start by saying these very difficult and poignant words to you. You are dust. To dust you shall return. My job this Wednesday is to say the least glorified thing I can possibly say to you. You are made of the earth. 
one day, you, I, all of us, we're going to go back. And if you're an active listener, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, that's a terrible promise. I'm just not going to come on Wednesday. <laughs> but don't do that, first of all. I like the attendance. But more than that, it means that you didn't listen to the whole promise. Because if you listen to what Jesus says about carrying your cross, there's a second part, actually, to what it means to be the Messiah. Yes, it means you're going to bear your cross. Yes, it means you're going to suffer. But guess what happens at the end? The resurrection. New life. Right? Eternal life. And if we're actively listening to this call, what we're going to find out is that that's really a glorious thing. And we're going to see the glory of that moment when we're able to say this word again on Easter morning. And what I love about Easter morning is this, right? Easter morning is a bombastic worship service. This place is going to be alive with excitement, flowers, and, and, and orchestras, and all these different things, all this big music. And you know what's going to, you know what's going to be interesting is when I read the gospel, that glorious moment is actually going to play out in an empty tomb with like a single witness who's not even able to fully make sense of what's in front of them. They're going to show up and someone's going to report them and they're going to say, listen up, man. You're looking in the wrong place. You're living amongst the dead, but he's back with the living. Go and see what he's up to. And that's pretty profound. So in the weeks that lie ahead, we got to prepare ourselves for that moment, that moment of glory, right? That, that, that moment where we're reminded of who we really are, but who we've been called to be. And so my hope and my prayer for you this Lent is that you're able to embody fully what it means to be made of dust, to be one that returns to dust, we may see that in that we return to God and the glory found there. So thanks be to God. Amen.